Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. is up Dolphins and welcome into the Tuesday May the 14th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host Travis Wingfield and as always I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football and on today's show we'll do some housekeeping on the roster including some OTA activity and a potential position change for a Dolphin defender plus I'll tell you how the Dolphins are throwing it back to 1972 via the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com right now. And we'll paint the path to a winning season in 2019 with a bunch of optimism sprinkled in. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, however you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We're getting light on those. Pump some more five-star ratings into the podcast for us, please. Also, check me out on Twitter, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter, at Wingfield NFL, and the show is at Locked On Fins. Again, LockedOnDolphins.com, your home for the 2018 Josh Rosen charting project. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast, for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go. That's another Miami Dolphins So OTAs kicked off yesterday, and frankly, there just wasn't a whole lot to report on. We'll get back into that here in just a minute, but I want to clear up some housekeeping and news here on the podcast. So Miami, after signing three tryout players and waiving Connor Hillen, the offensive lineman, and Rob Roll, the safety, Hillen was a UDFA last year, clearly a guy the new regime wasn't all that thrilled about, and Rob Roll was battling an injury, so after a UDFA contract for him, he is quickly out the door along with Connor Hilland. And Miami is now at 91 players on the roster. But as you'll recall, the Brazilian monster himself, Derval Neto, is roster exempt, meaning Miami can essentially have 91 players on the roster right now because of his international pathway exemption as he clears up a free space on the practice squad via that program. So Miami, after signing those three players, are at 91 guys. I legitimately think that Kirk Barron, the center from Purdue, can give Dan Kilgore a run for his money for his starting job. And frankly, Miami needs some competition behind Kilgore, so good news there. I don't know much about the former AAF corner Jamar Summers, so forgive me on his production or his story. And then there's Mark Walton. And you guys probably know Mark Walton better than I do, but this guy was a fourth-round pick just last season, and he's got a hell of a lot of talent. His problem is that he's a complete knucklehead. But I get the sense that Brian Flores and his somewhat nurturing nature and the way this program's going to work going forward based upon second chances and giving guys a chance to overcome those obstacles could provide the change that Walton's life needs right now. He's a Miami native. Booker T. Washington High School went on to play for the Canes where he rushed for 2,000 yards in three seasons at 5.1 yards per clip. He had 26 rushing touchdowns. He is a talent, no doubt about that. He's versatile as an option in the passing game. He's got a real shot to make this roster because behind Drake Balaj and Miles Gaskin, 
There's not really a whole lot there, and this team needs running backs. It's going to be up to how he handles himself this summer because three arrests in a short period of time, and that includes an embarrassing taser video, which nobody ever wants to have happen to them, is a sign that the guy has some other more important issues in his life that he has to deal with. So those guys are all here, and like I said, we really don't have much from OTAs. There wasn't any media availability. The journalists that were there only got to stay for the first 20 minutes of practice, which is just stretching and jogging. But we are left with a couple of notes that were given to me from friend of the podcast, writer at LockedOnDolphins.com, Kevin Dern. You guys know who he is. Regarding an article from Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, and that tied into an idea that I had for the podcast coming into today's show. The idea that I think Maurice Smith, the safety, could challenge for reps as the Dolphins' third safety in this defense, the third guy to come onto the field in sub-package situations, in dime defense situations, something we expect this defense to run a whole heck of a lot more this season compared to basically never running it under Matt Burke and Vance Joseph. There was a video of Maurice Smith on Monday working out at OTAs, working on his change of direction and ball tracking, something I think he does pretty well, and I made a comment about it on Twitter, but it's more about, to me, how he's a better fit in that role than TJ McDonald is. And that's where the Barry Jackson note comes in. From an April 18th article in the Miami Herald, Jackson wrote that Miami have asked TJ to drop 15 to 20 pounds, and that, to me... Sounds like a change to a sub-package linebacker role for McDonald going forward. So in that vein, he could still essentially be your third safety, but he's going to be playing down in the box, and that would certainly keep Minka Fitzpatrick back in that deep middle-of-the-field safety role, the single high center field safety role, just depending on how they want to operate that coverage with one deep, two deep, three deep, however it might be, Minka Fitzpatrick is back, TJ McDonald is up and Rashad Jones is kind of floating around doing multiple things because we know he has some versatility to his game. Just some interesting food for thought here. And a last note on this, you'll recall my bit a while ago talking about how Brian Flores told Raekwon McMillan to watch some Dante Hightower film from the New England Patriots working both inside and outside as a linebacker, outside as a rushbacker, inside as a run defender. And from that same Barry Jackson article, he says that Kenyon Drake has been studying James White film, which just gives me all the fills. I think that's an exceptional role for Kenyon Drake. He can flex out wide, do some of the stuff as a pass receiver. He works pretty well in pass protection, even though this last year was not his best effort in pass pro. And of course, he's an electric game-breaking runner with the football in his hands. But I go back to the Super Bowl and watch James White on that game-winning drive for the Patriots. He's flexed out wide in a plus split, and a plus split means you line up beyond the numbers on the outside portion of the football field. James White was out there for two or three plays in a row as the Patriots would just basically run simple little hitch routes to come back to him, and that's something Kenyon Drake can do. We know he can run the seam shot route down the middle of the field, a good throw in Josh Rosen's arsenal. We're going to get to more of that later. He can also run some swing routes. He can run inside for the slant. He can do a lot of things is what I'm trying to say, and James White's role would be a great fit for Kenyon Drake. I think that makes tons and tons of sense, and that is a good place to transition into the break here. We're going to come back on the other side of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and talk about Miami's identity shift and 21 personnel packages next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. 
In this industry, you sometimes have to appeal to the masses and find a way to give the people what they want, but I also think it's important to do that while maintaining a level of genuine approach to the analysis, but also staying true to who you are. And I think I've accomplished that with the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com today. It is titled Chandler Cox, 21 Personnel and the Miami Dolphins New Identity. And it goes back to some comments over the weekend from Coach Brian Flores at Rookie Minicamp because, again, they had media availability over the weekend, but they did not have that today, or I guess on Monday, at Organized Team Activities. And Flores himself was really the one that appealed to the masses. And the article starts off with this quote from Coach Flores, We are going to have a fullback one way or another. We're going to have a tough physical team. And to be perfectly truthful, that quote alone leads to the next segment on the final segment of today's podcast. But I want to talk about what I meant by appealing to the masses, talking about how this team wants to be a physical throwback team. I even threw in the article talking about how the only thing the fans of this team, the senior generation of Dolphins fans would like more than a throwback style football team is to go back to the old logo and to make the throwback uniforms permanent, which I think most Dolphins fans feel that way. And I'm actually one of the few on the other side of that as I like the current uniforms, but that's neither here nor there. I make a mention of Larry Sanka, Mercury Morris, and Jim Kick. And we go into another quote from Coach Flores. As things transition more to the spread offense, not a lot of teams know how to defend a two-back run game. Having the ability to do that may be an advantage, or it may not be. And I think what he meant by that last part was that we're just going to be an adaptable team that can that can morph ourselves and be a chameleon every single week based upon the opponent we see on the other side of the football field. And that's a good thing. But I think in in the basis, the foundation of this offense, of this team, is going to be physical run game, a strong defense. And again, we'll talk about that in the final segment. But I want to talk about some of the utilization of the pieces on this roster and how Miami have built a team that can take on that mentality and take on that identity. Of course, I referred to Adam Beasley's column yesterday from the Miami Herald talking about the offensive line emphasis at certain positions and going after guys that are more maulers, guys that work better in the running game compared to pass protectors because last season, the offensive line was built by pass protectors to try to get Adam Gaze's 11 personnel offense to work with Ryan Tannehill in the quick, short passing game. All of that has mostly been undone, and I would challenge to say that's why Jawan James was not brought back, especially for that big price contract that he has, but Laramie Tunzel, we know, can operate in multi-functions, whether it's the power running game, the zone running game, he's one of the best pass protectors in the NFL already, but this article is talking about 21 personnel, and that means two backs, one tight end, two receivers on the field. And the Cardinals ran some of it last year with Josh Rosen. The Dolphins rarely did. In fact, the Dolphins have not had a fullback since Javorski Lane in 2012. But the Patriots were the biggest proponent of 21 personnel and the fullback on the field. And you go back to the tweet that I mentioned. Before their bye week last year, the Patriots averaged right around 108 yards rushing per game. After the bye week, they go up to 159.7 rushing yards per game. And for comparison's sake, the Seattle Seahawks averaged 160 yards per game last year, and that led the NFL. So the Patriots were 0.3 yards off that mark to end the season. And the biggest reason for that, 
James Devlin, pre-bye week, averaged 21.5 snaps per game, about less than half of the Patriots' snaps every single week. After the bye week, from 108 rushing yards up to 159 rushing yards per game, he goes from 21.5 snaps to 30.5 snaps, a nine-snap increase, up over 50% of the Patriots' offensive workload. So obviously that was a shift in mentality for them, and I think Brian Flores wants to do that and play solid defense here in Miami. And again, he said it himself, there is going to be a fullback on this roster And there's really no mystery as to who that is supposed to be. The seventh round rookie from Auburn, fullback Chandler Cox, who the Dolphins just drafted last month. And Chandler Cox is kind of taking on a cult hero mentality in Miami. I can go back to the tweet from Ryan Smith from Pro Football Focus, where he lined up all over the formation at fullback, at tight end, receiver, halfback, even a couple quarterback snaps. And he's alluded to the joke that he enjoys throwing the football, something he got to do in high school a little bit more. But he was a traditional running back in high school. And he did play his high school ball in the state of Florida at Apopka High School. I hope I pronounced that right. But he liked throwing the ball around a lot there. He ran the football. But the best quote from all this that I found, and I went through several columns about Chandler Cox. One of those was that he was honored at Auburn's Unsung Hero Banquet last month, which basically takes takes into account players that don't get as much of the limelight as they would prefer. And he was one of those guys. And his coach, his position coach, the tight ends and H-back coach at Auburn said that Chandler has always been passionate about football. He would play so hard in practices throughout the week that I would have to pull him out because I needed him on Saturdays. But to get to the Chandler Cox quote that really steals the entire show in this article, it comes from Joe Shad at the Palm Beach Post. He said, I'd much rather block someone or block for someone than go score a touchdown. I just want to move somebody out of the way. So Chandler Cox as the fullback in 21 personnel brings back images of Rob Conrad, Lusaka Polite, maybe even Reagan Mawai, the juggernaut who once ran through a piece of very thin drywall and got Dolphins fans pumped up about that. But Chandler Cox can do a lot of different things for you on offense, not just by position, but he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can go up and sniff out the linebacker and clear a lane for the running back. And in this article, there's some good examples of him doing that against big-time SEC competition. And I also threw some tweets in there from Chris Kaufman at CK Parrot on Twitter, showcasing some of his traits against LSU, for instance, and also a clip of him catching a pass on a little fake dive where he rolls out into the flat and catches the ball on third and one and moves the chains and converts that way. And it's a good side-by-side shot of one of Nick O'Leary's catches last year, his only touchdown catch last year against the Chicago Bears. And that's where the challenge comes in between the 21 personnel package and the heavy reliance on Chandler Cox. You need someone that can back him up because if he gets hurt, that means that entire package comes out of the game plan, out of the playbook for that entire game. And You just can't have that. So who would be the guy that would fill in for him? Now, we know the Dolphins went out and addressed tight end very heavily this offseason, went out and got Dwayne Allen, who basically went from a pass-catching tight end in college to now this in-line run-blocking earth mover who played 70% of his snaps in-line or in the backfield and 70% of those snaps working as a blocker, whether it's the run game or the passing game. So he is essentially an extra offensive lineman. We know about Durham Smythe and what he did at Notre Dame. I think he had like 11 catches and was a focal point of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish nation's leading ground game in 2017. So he has a shot that way. We talked about the offensive line. both or All three of Jordan Mills, Michael Dieter, and Isaiah Prince made their names in the ground game. I think pretty highly of Chris Reed, probably higher than most folks do. 
whether it's Dolphins fans or otherwise, this entire shift, this entire remake goes from being this 11 personnel base offense under Adam Gaze to the smash mouth, punch you in the mouth type of ground game. And if you go back to the Finalysis podcast, which I'm sure only a couple of you do before this Locked On Dolphins podcast became mine with Kevin Dern, we spoke all the time about how we hoped Miami would become that smash mouth football team and we thought they had with Jay Ajayi. It just never got back there. It was never going to get there with Adam Gaze. But the thing about all these changes, all this offensive shift and the focus on different personnel packages and different styles of football players, one thing is for sure, this is your grandpa's Dolphins football team. And so while that segment was all about getting the old timers fired up, taking things back to the glory years of the 1970s for this Dolphins football team, the next segment, I'm going to get the rest of you guys fired up and tell you how Miami has a path to a good season in 2019, a playoff season. We'll do that next Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. It is widely accepted that the Dolphins are going to stink in 2019. That's the expectation from fans and especially from the national media as it was last year, I remind you. And maybe, maybe they will. But there are certainly some areas of the team that could use some reinforcements. But I go back to just about every season when there is one unanimous team that everybody agrees is going to be Cheeks. Hell, this is the third straight year that the AFC East offers up that not-so-darling team. Last year, Buffalo had the worst opening day offense I had personally ever seen. Nathan Peterman behind the worst offensive line in football and the worst crop of wide receivers. And even with that, they wind up winning five games, even though Josh Allen came in and helped them get there throughout the course of the season. Then there was the Jets the year before that. Essentially, the exact same story only a worse defense, and Josh McCown, the quarterback, they wind up going 5-11 as well. Now, five games, that's not the benchmark we're shooting for here. I just think that paints a picture of how skewed these preseason expectations tend to be every single year. Go back to 2008. Does anybody think that that roster was better than the one Miami has now? No, it wasn't though Chad Pennington was an absolute godsend who galvanized the entire roster, plus Ricky came back and bossed off alongside Ronnie Brown, and I'll argue that that was the last time the Dolphins had a good cornerback tandem in the post-Sam Madison-Patrick-Sertan era, but that's neither here nor there. So how does this 2019 Dolphins team do the unthinkable and qualify for the postseason? I mean, Come on, stay with me here. You all just watch a bunch of fire-breathing dragons for an hour and 20 minutes. You can suspend your disbelief for five minutes with me here talking about Dolphins football in the playoffs in 2019. This is going to be an article series as we get closer to the season, exploring the different potential paths for the Dolphins this season. But how does Miami find a way to win 10 games? I think you look at the 2012 Seahawks model, and before I get started, let me come at you with a disclaimer. Josh Rosen is not even close to Russell Wilson, and even more so, this Dolphins defense does not have the name recognition that the Legion of Boom and that dominant defense did when they led the NFL in scoring defense for four straight years. Absolutely ridiculous. 
but it wasn't a household name in 2012. It was just on its way, as we hope this Dolphins defense will be on its way. And I have to believe that's why Brian Flores, or what Brian Flores rather, thinks that he has here. I'm certain that this defense is going to be better just based on the scheme alone. I know the personnel deployment alone will make for an improvement as well. That and some of the things I saw Green Bay doing on tape last year with their linebackers, Patrick Graham's forte, I know this defense is going to be better than it has been in previous years. They've got their catalyst locked up in Xavier Howard. Minka Fitzpatrick is going to be even better in year number two. I think Rashad Jones could have a bounce back year if he can he can stay he can stay he can stay hell about the young linebackers McMillan and Baker and maybe even Andrew Van Ginkle as well as the three defensive linemen with Wilkins Taylor and Devon Godshaw. It's not complete, but it is a solid start, a solid foundation. So the defense is better. I think we all agree it's going to be better than it was the two years under Matt Burke. So what about on offense? Well, we know pass protection might be an issue. Hell, it is. It's going to be an issue. But I know Laramie Tunzel is an elite run blocker because he's elite at everything he does. I know Michael Dieter can move guys off the ball. And as I mentioned in the last segment, that's what Chandler Cox loves to do more than anything else. I probably think higher of Chris Reed than anybody else. I believe Jesse Davis is a formidable right tackle and that he should definitely win that job over Jordan Mills. But that was the Seahawks offensive line. Hell, it still is the Seahawks offensive line. They can't pass protect to save their lives, but they do run block very well. And the Seahawks have built their program around that very fact. And with that, I think this deserves to be mentioned. Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balage is a better tandem than what the Seahawks have had last year or going into this year. So what does that mean? This means a ball control style of offense, low scoring games, and probably one score contests heading into the fourth quarters of football games. And you might say, Travis, this team's not good enough to stay with teams for three quarters. That's what the NFL is. It's all about two or three plays at the end of the game that determines the game. And if the Dolphins want to dictate a pace like that, that's how you get to that portion of the game. And that's where Josh Rosen factors into the equation. The quarterback, the 22-year-old quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. I'm nine games into his 13-game rookie season, and the biggest positive trait that I've seen from him is that his play elevates in crucial situations, the complete anti-Ryan Tannehill, for as much as that pains me to say. He'll miss a first and 10 speed out route, throw it way over the receiver's head into the bench, but when it's third down and long or late in the fourth quarter after a rough first three quarters, he just plays better. I don't know what that is, but it is absolutely a real thing. Russell Wilson was that way early in his career, and that was, dare I say it, Tom Brady early in his career. Again, disclaimer, not calling Josh Rosen, Russell Wilson, or Tom Brady. I'm just saying this team could be in a lot of games this year, especially the ones at home in that South Florida heat, particularly the fact that the Dolphins play four games at home before Columbus Day on October the 13th four home games in that stretch. That's not an easy draw for the opposition. And I even wrote an article last year about Miami's increased winning percentage at home games in September and October compared to the rest of their schedule and compared to November and December home games. It's a real thing. But keep the game close. Give Rosen a chance late. He tends to do well there. He did it last year with the Cardinals. And granted, they were only in a couple of close games and got blown out all the time. But he almost always delivered in those tight ones. And that's also what he was at UCLA too. 
Same story with how bad they were and how much he had to do to win games late. So there, there is your reason for optimism for the season. And I think that is a great note to end the podcast on today and lead right into the daily reminder that if you have a smart speaker, you can pull up the podcast in your car or otherwise right away. Just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast for your daily dose. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Happy to see how far I've come to the same place It began in my dreams, imagination Perfectly at peace So I move along a bit higher